Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. We have a great show for you today, folks. During the first part of this episode, you'll hear excerpts from our previous interview with actress Catherine Houghton, who talks about working on the groundbreaking 1967 film, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Then, during the last part of the show, Mac Bates, one of our favorite film critics, will comment on that interview and share his picks for the best movies about the African-American experience. You know, Mac is a frequent guest, and we're so happy he could be with us again today. He's written freelance articles for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and serves as a staff blogger for Milwaukee Magazine's official film blog. And he also received, drum roll please, an Emmy for his work on the Robert and Rosie show. Now before I bring Mac on, I want to check with Nikki to see if everything is ready in the chat room. Nikki, is the chat room open for listeners to sign in and participate? It is, and I actually want to say a really special welcome to Misty One. She loves the show. It's one of her all-time favorite movies, so she's very excited about tonight. Oh, welcome to the show, Missy, and, and yep. you have very good taste in, in movies, so we're really That's glad correct. that you're there. We, we appreciate it very much, and we also appreciate all our listeners, of course, and Mac Bates for dropping by again. Mac, before we hear from Catherine Houghton, was I right about calling Guess Who's Coming to Dinner a groundbreaking film? Oh, yes, you certainly were. And then thank you again for having me on this show. I really, uh, really appreciate it. I've uh, long admired that film, along with a lot of the people who were involved in it, particularly uh, Mr. Portier uh, and um, Ms. Hepburn and Mr. Tracy, uh, superlative performances across the board. And it's going to be interesting to see what... Uh, the uh, young lady who played uh, the woman, uh, his, um, Sidney Poitier's love interest, has to say about the film. Um, it's one of those movies that uh, it's it's really stood the test of time, and it's you know as relevant now as it's probably ever been. You know, certainly in um, in uh, you know our, our pretty heated uh, you know uh, racial uh, times that we're you know unfortunately yeah. having to still deal with in this day and age. But uh, sure. yeah, it's going to be interesting to see see uh, what what her take on it is. Oh, I think you'll you'll really enjoy uh, the comments that she made, and and uh, she reveals some very fascinating information about uh, Sidney Poitier, uh, what was happening during during the filming of I guess who's coming to dinner, some uh, interesting uh, revelations that she gives, and uh, I I really did love that movie. Yeah. No wonder it received eleven Oscar nominations. And won two of them. It won Best Picture, and uh, I think it was Stanley Kramer that directed us, and Best Actress. And then I also remember that it made a, uh, quite an impact on the marketing of feature films in, in southern states. And I think we'll get into that a little bit uh, in the interview with with Catherine Houghton. But uh, 
this is pretty timely because this is a still Black History Month, and yes. so uh, talking about this film, I think, is uh, is quite appropriate. And also, Mr. Sidney Poitier, call him Mr. Poitier, <laughs> he had a birthday that on the 20th of this month, that was last Friday, and I believe he celebrated his 88th birthday, so <laughs> we should try to get him on the, on the show. Wouldn't that be a, be a treat to, to hear yes. from him? And then uh, it's so interesting that uh, Catherine Houghton is, uh, happened to be Catherine Hepburn's niece, and uh, we were just very, very lucky to uh, to get an interview with her. And this happened a couple of years ago. But um, I do want to give you a little bit of background on Catherine. She's appeared in other films, including Kinsey, Ethan Frome, The Last Airbender, and Billy Bathgate. And she's a successful playwright, popular lecturer, and award-winning stage actress who made her Broadway debut in 1965 in Ruth Gordon's A Very Rich Woman, and she won an Obie Award in 1969 for her performance in Scent of Flowers. In addition, she has played roles in over 50, 50 regional theater productions. Her latest stage role was Amanda in The Pretty Trap, which is a comedy version of The Glass Menagerie. So for our interview with Catherine, a film historian James Cold Harrison served as co-host. And at first, you'll see he's interested in finding out more about Hepburn, but her niece would rather talk about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and that serves our purpose very well today. We'll play the clip now, which runs for about 20 minutes. And then we'll return to hear Mac tell us his picks for the best films about the African-American experience. And um, I do want to mention that we have extended the show to 60 minutes, so we might even be able to squeeze in some reactions to the Oscars. I sure hope that we do. <laughs> so here's yeah, how our conversation with Catherine Houghton went down. We should get on with the interview, and um, Fine. I, I don't want to don't want to keep you all morning, but I'm just so glad that we that we do have you here. And I I thought that James might like to start out with the first uh, couple of uh, questions. So James, you're on. Uh, oh, I'm on. Okay. Well, let's see. He's always on, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess the obvious question would be, how did Katherine Hepburn influence your acting career? Well, you you know, James, what what I would like to 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 talk about first is guess who's coming to dinner, since that is the the role that I'm best known for in in yes. the in the world. Um, very often people say to me, you know, what what did that mean for your career? And I think that is one of your questions, actually. Um, and it's it's a very hard question to ask because I think an actor who appears in a film uh, that's had such popularity and notoriety over the years, you're really the last person to know um, exactly what effect it's had on you. But in answering this question uh, many, many times, I, I think that there, there are three main aspects uh, in trying to answer it. And uh, the most important one is that, for me, it was a great life experience. That, that, that's the most important thing about it, a great honor, a great life experience. And um, 
I think to that the most important thing to me as a person more than than fame and fortune is having great life experiences because I do feel right. we we come this way once and uh to have wonderful uh life changing experiences um is a a, a great uh, piece of good fortune. Now, uh, the reason I say it was a great life experience for me um, is I was part of creating such an important uh, and worthwhile fable. I, I think of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner really as a fable. It's it's not realistic. It's a fairy tale. Yes. A, a fairy tale for the screen. And, and uh, aside from all the wonderful other people in the film, um, who are always a great pleasure to see. It, the story is a very important story and continues to be a very important story, alas, uh, which is that judging people for the quality of their soul is is more important than judging them for the color of their skin or some other oh, superficial quality. And exactly. I think we have to keep telling that story uh, again and again since we never seem to learn the lesson it teaches. But... Um, I think uh, as a very young person starting out um, in the business, I'd only done a few plays and a, and a few um, really amateur kind of films. This was, as a person, this was a, a, a tremendously important thing to me to be part of because it was so high quality. Yeah. And it really made it very difficult for me to do uh, films that I, I didn't for some reason or another. Some perhaps would say, but why the hell did you do that film? Uh, but there was always a reason behind what I did, not not just making money, um, but trying to do something that I felt had some importance to, to its uh, content. The second thing was that it was very helpful to me as a theater actress to appear in that film, because it was such a huge hit. And naturally, theater producers who are concerned about box office like to cast what they consider names in order to sell tickets. So it opened up lots and lots of theater opportunities for me. And I was very, very lucky to be able to play um, many, many of the great classic roles, whether it was Chekhov or Ibsen or Shakespeare or Tennessee Williams or Eugene O'Neill or whoever. And I, I don't know that I would have had that opportunity in the theater without that film. And uh, third and least important, um, doing that role in that film was very problematic for me as a young film actress because it was my first big movie role. And um, Joey Drayton, uh, as I'm sure you would agree, wasn't really a character. Uh, she was an idea. And uh, Oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. As an actress, you can't reveal uh, who you are playing an, I- an idea. And, and my primary job was to play the idea. It had nothing to do uh, with my personality. I certainly believed in the idea with all my heart and soul. But I couldn't really be a personality, you know. I couldn't be my personality. Yes, yes. So I think that Hollywood just didn't really know what to do with me. 
And um, if I'd started out playing in a more contemporary kind of film where I did play a character, a character going through a divorce or a character who was a single parent or, or issues that were issues at the time, a, uh, a woman who uh, was fighting for some kind of career post, uh, uh, being the, the 60s and the 70s, the whole women's lib thing, you know, I could have been more of who I am as a person. But as I say, compared to the other two aspects of doing that film, that's really very unimportant. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I really am have no regrets, of course, about doing it. It was a great honor, a great thrill, and I am so <laughs> amazed and and pleased that the film has continued to be so popular. Well, it's just it's a it's got such a great uh, following and and such a social consciousness to it, as well as uh, being entertaining and fantastic performances you were awesome in that film well uh, you're very kind. Catherine you were and I I was wondering because so many things were happening um, there you know behind the scenes I was wondering if you'd be willing to share us anything uh, behind the scenes that was happening there uh, between Catherine Hepburn Spencer Tracy um, we know that that was his last screen role we know that uh, that Catherine Hepburn won uh, one of the two Oscars, and we know that the film is just uh, stands out for for all of us as uh, as a film that has some meaning to it as well as entertainment value. So, uh, so here we have someone who was actually there. <laughs> so, can you tell us any anything that that happened during the filming that that you thought would be interesting to share with our listeners? Well, uh, it was a very um, stressful set because um, Spencer really was dying. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Sidney Poitier and I started the film up in San Francisco. It was the only location shooting that was done. And the first day we did the shots uh, coming in from Hawaii uh, at the airport and getting into the taxi cab and going to the art gallery. And when I got back to the hotel that evening, my aunt called me. She said, the film has been canceled. Oh. And uh, she said, and the reason is that Columbia Pictures cannot get insurance for Spencer. Oh so um, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll get some a plane reservation and come back tomorrow to L.A. And uh, then she called later on and said, we've made a deal, and... Um, the film is going to go forward, so don't don't come back to L.A. And I said, well, what's the deal? And she said, well, Stanley Kramer and Spencer and I have agreed not to take any salary until the film is completed. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Some people oh. think it was only my aunt and Spencer that agreed to that, but it was Stanley as well. That's how much they wanted to do the film. And... Um, so we went on, but every day was precious, and Spencer could only shoot a couple of hours a day because um, of his health, sometimes not at all. And um, needless to say, my aunt was under an, an enormous amount of pressure. 
Oh, yeah. And this was the love of her life, no matter what some of her biographers say. Uh, this, the, I, I was there. I know. I knew Spencer from the time I was a small child. He was part of our extended family. And um, she, she really saw that the end was coming, and it was terrifying and so sad. So um, it, it wasn't a lot of fun, let's put it that way. Now, there were many, many other things that were going on uh, on the set, too. I think that, that Sidney Poitier, who had been um, a, recently attacked in the press uh, for being an Uncle Tom and this and that and the other thing, was really seriously considering not doing any more films. And this was after he had done um, the uh, the wonderful film about Mr. Tibbs, uh, James, help me here, um, In the Heat of the Night. And, right. uh, and, and um, the film with Tony Curtis, The Defiant Ones, I think it was called, right, in this country. Great and on film. and on and on. He'd done so many brilliant films. And... Um, but the the attacks that he was getting in in the press were very disheartening to him. Um, so I I got to see what you might say backstage him going through a very uh, life changing kind of examination of what he should do next and and he said primarily what he was thinking of doing was becoming a director. Now, he didn't quit acting altogether, obviously. I think he did to Sir with Love the following year and, and various other things. But I think if you look at his film resume, he didn't act as much as he probably could have after that. So that was a a very dramatic thing that was going on backstage. And well, is that true? Oh, I'm sorry. I just yeah, before I forget this, I wanted to know if this is true because you mentioned um, biography, and I'm I just finished this uh, the Charlotte Chandler biography. I know where I'm going, which um, I, I, it's it's really a, quite an interesting read. But um, I think that she indicated that uh, Catherine Hepburn has never watched. Guess who's coming to dinner? Because of the of how hard that movie was for her to make, because of what uh, Spencer Tracy was going through, and that she actually cried, you know, back on the set. I mean, during that last speech that Spencer Tracy made. Is there any truth to to those things that were in that biography? Well, of course she cried. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she would have. Wouldn't you, if if it was your yes. great love that was dying, and you knew that they were making the last speech in a film that they would ever make? Absolutely. I mean, how can people even imagine that she wouldn't be tremendously touched? She would have had to be a rock not to be touched. Everybody cried. It was, and she deserved uh, the was, Oscar for that movie too. I mean, I thought. Well, was, I don't think that it was her Oscar role, frankly, but um, uh, I think that she and he deserved it together, and that's what she always said. She said, this Oscar is for me and Spencer, and um, and our life, uh, our life's work, and that's what it was for. And very often Oscars are consolation prizes or uh, honoring you for something other than the role you're playing. She should have gotten it for playing Joe and Little Women and 
any other yes, for sure. Yeah, any other number of parts that were really great acting roles. This wasn't a great role for her either. She also was playing an idea, but she was already such an established personality that she brought that to the role, and the role was written for her by uh, William Rose. But of course, um, she the, she was genuinely moved, and but everybody was. The whole set was crying. I was sitting there watching them, and they everybody was crying. So um, I don't think that's such a startling revelation. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt uh, James. I know he has uh, a few more questions, definitely, that he would like to ask. So, so James, uh, I apologize. Go, go oh, no, no. It's fascinating to listen to Catherine because she's one of the better interviews I've ever been involved in because many Me stars... Too. Yeah, you know, many stars don't have a lot of interesting things to say, but uh, you certainly do, Catherine, and we appreciate that. You're very kind, Jim. James. Uh, uh, um, oh, going back, I think the movie you were referring to, uh, Sidney Poitier, was "Call Me Mr. Tibbs" about the school teacher in uh, England. Uh, that was the film you were referring to. Well, previously, "Call Me Mr. Tibbs," I believe, is a line from "In the Heat of the Night" that he did with Rod Steiger when. A cheeky Southern uh, officer says, uh, "Hey, boy, uh, do this," and he and he says to him, "Call me Mr. Mr. Tibbs." Tibbs. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. with love, I think, was the film he did with the kids in the in the rough school. And oh, he, I think you're. Right. Oh my goodness, am I'm I right? Wrong. Yeah, I think I'm wrong, and you're right. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> oh, no, believe me, uh, my film history is very spotty. Uh, well, I guess mine is spottier. <laughs> just uh, happened to know that one. Just happened to luck out on that one. That's, that's, that's right. Well, uh, I, was I, did have a, I did have a, Go ahead. a question. And uh, uh, despite all the tension on the set and everything for uh, all the other actors, what was your biggest challenge? when you were filming Guesses Coming to Dinner, because it was one of your earliest films and you weren't well-versed in Hollywood and all that. Oh, I certainly wasn't. I, um, You know, uh, James, I was I was really too young to be terrified. I think if it, another <laughs> five years had gone by, I probably would have been frozen with horror <laughs> at, at having to work with all those people. But... Um, Except for Sydney, whom I didn't know before the film um, of the three major stars, I I knew the other two, and I knew them personally. So it was like making a home movie in in that sense. You know, I wasn't acting with um, with uh, Betty Davis and and uh, and Cary Grant or something. I was acting with two people whom I knew as as Aunt Cat and Uncle Spence, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney, um, who who was coming in, well, he writes about it in his book, but there's some very funny um, moments on the set because he was old enough and wise enough to know that this, at that time, was big theater history. And I didn't have any concepts of that at the time. And And he was very nice to me. He treated me like a, a kid sister, and 
he knew I'd been a philosophy major at, at Sarah Lawrence College, and he he was very amused by that. And we talked a lot about philosophy and politics, and he just couldn't have been kinder. So I yeah. felt very at home with him. I didn't feel he didn't do some sort of star trip on me and make yeah. me feel awkward. I I felt very confident with him and. With Isabel Sanford and and um, Cecil Calloway, they they were just all nice people. Yeah. So, and they were all very aware of what was happening uh, with Spencer and Kate, and uh, Spencer's uh, slipping away, and and I think that they knew that there was a lot of tension, therefore, in my personal life. So they bent over backward, and the makeup people, and the hair people, all those people were very, very kind. So for me, it it was a, a question of, of survival, but not in the usual way that a, a young person coming into a mm. Hollywood film. It was really just, okay, this is a really difficult situation because uh, Spencer is extremely ill and we don't know whether he's going to live from day to day, so I just have to really be on my toes and do my part as best I can because we're in a crisis situation here. And also, I was very aware, and Stanley talks a lot about this in, in his interviews, that Columbia Pictures thought this was going to be an awful film. Yeah. They had no oh, confidence in it. They thought it was going to do horrible business at the box office, and that the story was uh, much too controversial for America, and and on and on and on. So there was tension everywhere. Mm, yeah. Well, there were still four. That's back in 1967. There were still something like 14 states where racial intermarriage was uh, banned. Oh, you're right. Was, you're right. Was illegal. Following year, Martin Luther King was assassinated. The following year, uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. It, you know, for his attacks on organized crime. It, it was it was a very very politically uh, explosive period of our history. Yeah, it was it definitely. And this, uh, I understand that the Columbia Pictures. I, I guess they they didn't even want to open it in the in the South. No. And. Then I think it was just as successful. Eventually, it was just as successful in the South. And I, I've heard that at opening night, there were just crowds around the theater waiting to see the see the movie. That must have been given given um, <laughs> you and your aunt and Spencer and <laughs> the director and Sidney Poitier some satisfaction that there were so many people who were interested in, in this film. I'm going to stop the tape here, folks, but I think you have to agree that that conversation is one of the most fascinating ones that we've had on movie, that we've ever had on Movie Addict Headquarters. Mac, what's your reaction to Catherine's interview? Well, it, she was uh, remarkably candid, and, you know, when anybody speaks uh, about a project, certainly something that they've worked on, you know, several years beforehand, and for her to be 
that you know knowledgeable about everything that went on it really it's 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 great for us our film fans because it strips away the uh veneer strips away some of the uh the pixie dust as i like to call it from uh the movie going experience in, in the <laughs> best possible way because you get you you know you find out about the nuts and bolts that go into certain things i know some people they like to remain in the dark about, you know, how they did this or how they accomplished that or, you know, what went on behind the scenes on this particular project. But I was I was just riveted. I was like, yeah, she, she gave, yeah, it was a great interview. It was a great interview. I, I, it was one of those interviews I wish I had been a part of because I would have been just, you know, just drinking it all in, you know, when it was going on. <laughs> That's what I thought. That I thought, oh, yeah, Mac, Mac is going to love this. And yes. the things that she talked about, how uh, that that Sydney was facing too, along with the the terrible uh, things that were going on with uh, with with Spencer and with uh, Catherine Hepburn, but uh, the fact that he was uh, that he he was being attacked in the press, and then the fact that Columbia didn't want to make the didn't even want to make the movie in the first place, and that they all had to help. Uh, buy insurance for Spencer, uh, you know, out of their own pockets. And uh, and then for the film to be so popular in the South as well as everywhere, everywhere else, it was really quite a story in its own, just the whole, uh, you know, getting the film made and what was going on behind the scenes. And um, it's just, uh, it's just a miracle, I think. And I know that we've come a long way from, 1967, but we still have a very long way to go where racism is concerned, which is kind of my segue, Mac, into the next Mm -hmm. question for you. What are your picks for the best movies about the African-American experience? Well, oh wait, actually, before I go to that, uh, I did want to touch base on the fact that uh, she mentioned something in uh, her interview where she said that he had made nearly as many movies as he probably could have made following uh, his work on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner as uh, as he probably could have. And I actually did a quick check, and she's right. He's only made 24 films since Guess Who's Coming to Dinner back in 1967. Eight of those were for television. He had made 25 films, including a couple of appearances on television beforehand. So he's only really got a little over 50 credits over a you know, 50, 60 year long career. So yeah, she was she she was right that where he kind of stepped back and he was very very selective afterwards and um. It was I, I had never really paid attention to that because he has always been such a uh, a presence, you know, in um, in uh, the African American um, um, you know community in terms of films that they play. But if you notice, they play a lot of the same things over and over and over again. It isn't like he has you know hundreds of credits like a uh, Robert Duvall would have. You know, right. contemporaries who've got you know over, well over 100 credits, you know, and, and counting, and yeah, it's uh, it was uh, so when she said that, I'm like, wow, let me check that real quick, and she was, she was right. Um, That's true. Yeah, That's true. Yes, and um, uh, Nikki, I think Nikki uh, wants to get in here now. She's my producer, and when she wants to come on, she comes on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <All> right. <laughs> 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 to me, okay, just so you know, that was such a brilliant interview. I loved it. I haven't seen a movie, but I have a friend here who has, and he said it was so controversial at the time, and, like, I can't wrap my head around the fact that it was illegal to marry somebody who wasn't the same color as you. You yeah. see what I mean? Like, I might be too young, but I just can't wrap my head around it. And the fact that this movie transcended everything and still won Oscars and still was great and people loved it. I mean, I'm, I just can't get it. I can't. 
I can't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling that uh, yeah, we used to live in a country not that long ago where the right to vote was, uh, you know, being suppressed for uh, women right. and for men, and for uh, uh, well, for women and uh, for uh, men and women of uh, color as well, and uh, you know, uh, abortion rights were, you know. Um, um, you know, possibly being stripped away. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, it's, it's. You know, it's a. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting time like, to know that we, like, you know, yeah. kind of came in at the tail end of a lot of the struggle that people had to do. We've been able to reap the benefits. You and me, where right? Yeah, you, know, you know, Betty Joe with it. You know, is very, very much. You know, oh yeah, I was there and I saw. You know, right. everything that happened yeah. firsthand. And you and me, we're looking at it through a prism. You know, and video exactly. and, and tape and whatnot. Yeah. And yes, yeah, it's, it's uh it's, it's surreal, to say the least. It is surreal. That's mm-hmm. exa- that was beautiful wording. It is real. <laughs> All right, um, but to get back to Betty Joe's uh, initial uh, question uh, before I get one of my little thing to you know just to point that out, uh, some of the films that uh, have ter- personally touched me that I think uh, speak uh, pretty pretty uh, well of the uh, or, or truthfully I should say of the uh, African American African American experience uh, would uh, be uh, films like uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which I think. Mm-hmm. 25, 26 years later now, it was again, it came out in 89, is uh, the, the, his his portrait of um, of uh, race relations here in the United States is as uh, incendiary and, and is as potent and as relevant now as it ever has been. You know, I, I just think that's a, that's a magnificent piece of work and a, a truly, truly great uh, film. If, if anybody, you know, if he's ever put a movie, if anybody ever puts one of his films into the, you know, the, the, the time capsule, and he's made a lot of really great, interesting, diverse films. For me, it would have to be do the right thing because I think it's as close to perfect as he's ever come, and that's including um, you know, Malcolm X, among other uh, you know Sterling uh, portraits and, and, and films that he has made. Um, that 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 image of Mookie throwing that trash can through Sal's pizzeria, you know, yeah. his, uh, and you know triggering that that riot and seeing um, uh, uh, Mister you know consoling. Uh, sister mother it's you know the, the the images that will stay with you for a lifetime and it's just it's a, just a profound film and to see that there are so many artists you know that are still with us came from that movie or who or who contributed so much to a film and to you know just art and humanity uh were a part of that film uh you know spike obviously Ruby D, Ozzy Davis, Rosie Perez. That was her film yeah. debut, ironically enough. Um, uh, the great, great um, uh, Robin Harris, uh, this amazing comedian. Uh, Bill Nunn, who played Radio Ahim, John Turturro. You know, I could just uh, be here all day <laughs> talking about that film. It was just an amazing piece of work, and so that would certainly make my list uh, of uh, films that capture the African American experience in such a, um, a truthful, profound way on the on the screen. Well, I'm Another glad film. you picked. Well, I wanted to say something about that one because I I was hoping that you would mention Do the Right Thing because that's the first time that I uh, actually knew about Spike Lee. I mean, I know he made other films up to that time, but that's when I really started taking notice of him, and uh, I I think it's a a great film to to have on your list. So I didn't want to interrupt you, but, but what else would you say would be on your best list? Oh, a film uh, that actually got mentioned uh, by uh, Catherine uh, during uh, her uh, interview with you all, In the Heat of the Night, uh, a great uh, film from uh, Norman Jewison, a a Canadian filmmaker who has made two of the, uh, I think, uh, exceptional films about the uh, black American experience. First, you know, In the Heat of the Night, and then uh, later, uh, A Soldier's uh, Story, which is based on a uh, a play uh, uh, called A Soldier's Play. And um, I just think 
with In the Heat of the Night. Uh, and it's just this great, you know, murder mystery slash drama that that manages to take so many different elements. And, and and just put them on high boil, and the fact that it's set in the deep south and everybody's you know hot and sweaty, it just it it amplifies the <laughs> entire the entire viewing experience. And I just think, you know, Sidney Poitier and and obviously Rod Steiger, who won an Oscar for his uh, uh, leading performance in the film, were just magnetic, absolutely magnetic. And um, it was just one of those those uh, films that that again like do the right thing that stays with you. You've seen it once. And, you know, you hunger for it again, and, you know, and it's got some of the most quotable lines. Obviously, they call me Mr. Tibbs, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> they got, you know, great, great, uh, great um, uh, quotes from it and, and great moments like uh, when that clerk slaps Sidney Poitier and the Sidney Poitier slaps him right back and everybody in the crowd is like, they had never seen anything like that before in their lives. And it was just like, Wow. It, it it it's you know it's just it was just a seminal movie that came out at the 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 probably the 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 most optimum time it could have come out. It won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And I, like I mentioned before, it also won Best um, Best Actor for uh, Rod Steiger. And um, it's just it's it's uh it's very it's it's just interesting how they took a um a uh, a murder story template and and managed to put so so much. Uh, uh, substance into it because it could have been a very straightforward story, but the fact that they added the race element to it, it just notched it up to a uh, um, heights that uh, I don't I don't think a traditional pot boiler could have reached. And I just was very very impressed by uh, that film. Lee Grant's in it; she's great. You know, top to bottom, top to bottom, great. Um, Me too. And you know yeah. what? It was so popular. Yeah. That was. I mean, there's here's a time when there's a film out that's that's got some meaning to it, and it's uh, and you know it's uh, it's getting people at the box office, and uh, you know really uh, being popular not just with the critics, but with uh, with the average moviegoer, and it still is. Yeah, and then you know it spawned uh, a hit television show with uh, Carol O'Connor. And uh, the late great uh, Harold E. Rollins, uh, and you know, and its legacy has certainly lived on in uh, in, in ways both uh, inspiring and surprising. And you know, the fact that the film is still you know considered uh, is it will remain a classic. You know, it's a testament to uh, to um, Norman Jewison's direction, to uh, Sterling Sullivan's uh, amazing script adaptation, to the actors, you know, to the to the entire production, top to bottom, uh, it's just a, a truly, truly uh, a great film and great pot boiler. If you ever, if you ever um, want to ask anybody, you know, what what's the best pot boiler uh, ever made? If that isn't on their list, you know, they they haven't seen a great pot boiler, not really. So that would uh, that yeah. would definitely make my list as well. Another film. You're on which, a roll. Uh, <laughs> You're definitely uh, on a roll. <laughs> okay, another got... film which is um, surprising. I think it will probably surprise some people that made my list would be a uh, film, um, a comedy, actually, called The Nutty Professor uh, with uh, Eddie Murphy. Oh, oh and no. The reason, and the reason that movie made my list, believe it or not, because, you know, it, it would have been easy to pick just one drama after another. But I say, you know what, sometimes you got to make them laugh. Sometimes you got to do something <laughs> a little bit out of the box, go with a, an unconventional choice. And this is my unconventional choice, and here's why. Think of any, can you think of any other movie where a fat black man was the one the audiences were cheering for. You can't think of, there's no movie that features a fat black man, much less a fat man, but most especially a fat black man who was not only the audience's, you know, um uh hero but also 
the 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 person that uh that the audience would want the leading lady to end up with at the end. Normally, it's the suave, good-looking guy who gets the girl at the end. Right. In this movie, the fat black guy who happens to be a college professor and a genius gets the girl. You know, gets the the, the gorgeous, <laughs> you know, um, stunning woman. Whereas in any other um, uh, film, he would be, you know, the the the, the confidant of the laughing stock or, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the the guy who was just there, you know, to be comic relief. And in this case, not only was he comic relief, he was also the leading man. He also got the girl and um the audiences were rooting for him and nobody was like, Oh yeah, you know, it would be really great if he lost weight too. You know, like just because could he lose weight too? Nobody really cared about the fact that he was, you know, morbidly obese. They'd be like, No, he's a really great guy and he deserves to be happy and he deserves this girl unlike this alter ego of his who's, you know, in shape and a jerk. You know, they were like, you know, <laughs> off with the jerk's head, bring on the fat guy, and let him be happy, you know. And I just thought it was revolutionary. I thought it was absolutely – and Eddie Murphy is is probably the uh, one of the better performances he's ever given in his career. And, you know, that's saying yeah. something because he's been memorable in quite a few films. But there's a, something about his take on Sherman Clump in that film that was – it was just very endearing and very heartening and I think really spoke – uh, quite, quite um, uh, nicely and quite uh, poetically about what it means to be not only um, a black in the United States but also to be educated in the United States to you know kind of fall out not, to not you know, have that stereotypical um, uh, sheen on you like he's never been in prison he doesn't have baby mama drama he doesn't have kids all over the place you know out of wedlock he was just a, a very hardworking. Uh, devoted, nice guy who was looking for what everybody else was looking for, and that's just, you know, for somebody to love him as much as he loves them. And the fact that he got oh. that girl in the end, and the fact that he, <laughs> you know, didn't have to compromise himself, it was that it was just it was a brilliant, brilliant uh, um, uh, piece of work on uh, Eddie Murphy's Surprising, part. surprising choice, but I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad that you have a comedy on, on your list. Well, now, I had asked asked you, you know, three three to five uh best films and so you you do have two more and i think we have time to do that and still have time to talk about um, uh, our feelings about the oscars so what's okay. next after the nutty professor okay now i had noticed there was a a, a um, scarcity of women stories uh among my list so i said i got to choose a uniquely female film to uh tout on this list and uh i found what i consider to be the best of the bunch and that would be ease by you by uh director um, oh, her name has eluded me. Uh, it was written and directed by Cassie Lemons, a actress uh, turned a filmmaker. You might remember she played uh, Clary Starling's best friend in The Silence of the Lambs, her um, yes. fellow uh, FBI agent, um, uh, special agent, and Cordelia, I believe her name was in that film, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, she directs this movie. Um, told from the perspective of a 10-year-old girl by, by the name of Eve. Uh, and it's all, she's um, a member of a prosperous African-American uh, family in uh, the Deep South in Louisiana. Her uh, Something tragic happens, and she knows exactly what went down, yet there's some sort of, it, basically the, the film is all about memory and how it really it's about how uh, it's pretty elusive in how, you know, the the more we remember things, the more we change the thing. You know, the 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 more you remember something, the more it starts to take on a different hue, a different shape. Nobody remembers the same incident quite the same way. They've always got their own sort of, you know, uh, 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 spin on it. 
you know, because everybody comes from a different perspective. And so it's a very Roshaman like tale in that respect, and it's uh, populated mm-hmm. with some truly superb uh, performances from Samuel L. Jackson as the uh, patriarch of the family, Lynn Whitfield as the matriarch of the family, uh, in a truly superb um, turn by Debbie Morgan, who's a, uh, a, a very well-known soap opera actress. She's um, played uh, a character by the name of uh, Angela Hubbard on a number of uh, soap operas, particularly um all my children for a number of years up until recently. She plays yeah. uh, the lead character's aunt in the film, and that performance was truly one, if if not the superlative supporting uh, performance of the '90s, uh, is certainly on the top, the, t- the top three of the superlative supporting performances of the '90s. I would put that right up there with uh, Julianne Moore and Boogie Nights and um, Alfre Woodard and Passion Fish. Truly, an amazing turn, and how those three films and those three performances. Didn't uh, get nominations at least. Well, Julianne did, but uh, uh, Alfrey and um, and uh, Debbie didn't for their work in those two fine films. Like, it's, it's mind-boggling. And uh, Journey Smollett, brilliant, is Eve. And um, you got Megan play- Megan Good playing her sister Cecily, who plays into the mix. And it's just it's a really great southern mythic um, uh, mystery that I highly recommend anybody see. And it's written by a woman, directed by a woman. Um, uh, matter of fact, a lot of the people on the crew were women. It was uh, uh, shot by a, fe- a woman, Amy Vincent. It was edited by a woman, Tara Lynn Shopshire. Um, and it's just a truly, truly amazing piece of work that I would highly recommend and I think speaks volumes to uh, a culture uh, of the African American community, of the African American community that a lot of people aren't familiar with. So that in and of itself merits, it, uh, uh, merits a watching, a viewing by people who wouldn't otherwise watch it. And, uh, I think you're we right, and I want to make sure that our listeners know the name of that of that movie again. It's Eve's Bayou, B A Y O U. Right? Yes. Am I spelling that right? And yes. I, I did see that when it was first released, and I was just spellbound by that movie. I am just so impressed that you remembered that movie and that you put it on your on your list. I, now I can't wait to hear what your fifth one is. Oh, and uh, my last and final uh, pick would be a, a film from the 1970s, an independent film from a director from director Charles Barn, a Burnett called Killer of Sheep. And it's, um, it's a 1978 uh, drama based in uh, South Central Los Angeles about, um, it basically depicts uh, the Watts area. And it's um, it's kind of, you know, uh, a neorealism um, um, uh, take on that on that uh, that film that, that that community, and it's just uh, it isn't it isn't everybody's cup of tea to say the very least, but um, it's told in a very episodic manner, and um, the main character actually works at a slaughterhouse in uh, Watts, and um, he he basically wants a better life for himself, but he doesn't doesn't know quite how to bring that about. He doesn't quite know how to make that happen. And um, it's just uh, it's just a very interesting, weird, beautifully shot. It's all shot in black and white. And um, yeah, I'm not really doing it justice in my description, but uh, I, you know, forget the description. Just just seek it out. <laughs> you can okay, well, it out. I will do that yeah. because I haven't. <laughs> it out. Yeah, I haven't heard about that. Yeah, my description so, really isn't doing it justice, but it's uh, it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, film that. Uh, you, you, to see it is to really fully appreciate it. Okay? Yeah, um, yeah. If I would try to describe the plot, it would sound monotonous and not terribly interesting. But it, you just watch it. 
it's kind of like a um it's almost uh, uh it shares a lot of uh, similarities to uh kind of like um uh you know the work of like a Terrence Malick. If you're a Terrence Malick fan, I think you're going to really be able to get into this film and it's not uh not terribly long. But uh, boy, it's, a, it's got a it's a it's a really great. So it's eighty minutes long, and I've, I remember I saw it for the first time in film school, and I was just blown away by it. And somebody said, "Describe it," and I tried to describe it to him, then and I really couldn't do it justice then either. And apparently, uh, you know, time hasn't changed that. But um, yeah, just just watch it. Uh, uh, well, we yeah. trust you, so we will. <laughs> so your five again are uh, do the right thing in the heat of the night, the nutty professor, Eve's Bayou, and Killer Sheep, and now. Yeah, killer and that sounds like a great list. And now we get to talk about the Oscars. So yes. my first question is, um, were you um, were you surprised that uh, the uh, that Selma didn't win Best Picture? You know what? No, I wasn't because it only received uh, the nomination for Best Picture as well as for uh, Best Original Song, which thankfully it didn't win for Glory, uh, Common and uh and John Legend, whose uh, performance of that song on on uh, the Oscars the other night was just stupendous. You know, it was truly amazing um, watching them, uh, uh, you know, perform that live in front of everybody and bring such heart and such soul and such, you know, stirring um, uh, emotion to it. But, um, no, I wasn't surprised. Would I have loved for it to have won? Of course. Of course I would, I would have loved for it to have won because I thought that in um, a most violent year were uh, the best films of uh, 2014. And uh, Most Violent Year was completely overlooked as well. You know, they didn't, they didn't receive any nominations, which, um, you know, I think in hindsight people are going to be scratching their heads open when that movie finally gets the audience it so richly deserves. But, um, no, 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 I wasn't surprised. I was, But I was uh, I was thrilled that uh, that the film was recognized with the nominations and that thankfully it took home at least something. You know, because um, yeah. like I was uh, mentioning last year when 12 Years a Slave was uh, so recognized, <clears throat> you know, some years the, the Academy votes the way you like them to vote, and other years they don't. So, you know, when you you basically get to take you get to take it uh, your uh, your satisfaction where you can get it when it comes to stuff like that, because when um, uh, everything said that is really out of your hands, and you really don't have any say in uh, how things go in that regard. But you know, when they do go your way, it's a, it's a great thing. Exactly, and um, I think Nikki uh, saw the the Academy Awards show, and I think she wanted to say a few words about that. Let's let's see if she's still with us and if she'd like to chime I, in. Oh, of course I am. Nikki. Yeah, I kept my muted so I didn't interrupt. But yeah, first of all, Matt, you're so awesome. I just want you to know that everybody loves you in the chat room, and you're the best. Just so you know. Oh, you're thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You are. So there was a well, little I, controversy. Oh, do you want me to bring up the controversy or not? Well, sure. Well, there was a little controversy about, like, what Sean Penn said at the end when he presented the Best Picture Award for Birdman, which I love the movie. I did. And he he said, like, who gave this guy his green card? How do you feel about that? You know what I mean? Like, I really am very interested in just your personal opinion. Not anybody else. It's just you, Matt. Just you. <laughs> okay. Well, for me, uh, at first, I was like, whoa, that was kind of, you know, I, I wasn't offended by it necessarily because I thought, well, he's got to know him in some regard. And upon uh, doing research, they are good friends. They have worked with each other. And mm-hmm. when I saw Alejandro laughing on the audience, I'm thinking, well, if he's laughing, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be some sort of rapport between the both of them. And that, yeah. that was the case. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, instantly jumped to, oh, man, that was racist. I just thought, wow, that's 
Yeah, they must know each other because you he, he wouldn't. I don't think I've never have pinned Sean Penn, <laughs> pun intended. I've never <laughs> pinned Sean Penn as the racist type. Uh, you know, if anything, he's just one of those guys who he um you know, he likes to josh on his buddies. He likes to josh on his friends, and I and that's what I took it for. So I wasn't personally offended, but I had to admit when the, when I first heard him say what he said, I was like, oh okay. And then, <laughs> oh. And then and then I'm like, yeah, they they have to know each other in some regard because you, did they just, not yeah. hug? They hugged yeah, so yeah, sweetly, right? Hugged. Okay, that's how I felt. Yeah, I hugged. felt the same they way. Hugged. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I, I, I automatically jumped to any conclusion. You know, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was quite the controversy, though. And on the Internet, just so you know, it was trending as a big controversy. But how I felt about it was at first I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And then when this boy hugged, and then I saw, oh, they've done a couple movies together, and they're really yeah. good friends. And he was fine with it. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're, you're awesome. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> well, that's that's my, my that's my opinion now too. That it was a joke, but it is uh, is is understood that people might take uh, take offense at it because uh, that is quite a sensitive issue. And uh, but I but I'm sure that it it wasn't meant you know in any any other vein than than being trying to be amusing. But uh, the one thing that I took home from the Oscar show that I'm still just going crazy over because <laughs> yeah. it blew my mind is Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga. singing the music <laughs> from the sound of music. Oh, yeah. my God. Come on. Yeah, really? I mean, oh. Yeah, I, really? knew, I knew she was a talent to be reckoned with, but when she did that melody of the uh, sound of music uh, score, the song, the sound, she made me who has never watched the sound of music from start to finish, wants to seriously sit down and watch the movie from start to finish for the first time. So <laughs> that, just goes, that just goes to show the power of right. somebody's work, somebody's uh, talent to, you know, get you, or words even, to get you to uh, want to do something you wouldn't have otherwise considered doing. You know, I've made, it, I've made it 37 years without having seen the sound of music from start to finish. And at 37, soon to be 38, I want to seriously go get that movie now and see it. In, you got to do it. Kinda, yeah, and I, pl- I definitely plan on rectifying that situation soon, yes, as soon as I can. <laughs> okay, I just so you know, movie. I've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. I'm mm-hmm. 40, but I've seen the movie. And um, I think Lady Gaga killed it. It was so beautiful. I was afraid. You know what I mean? That she, she would like mess it up. Yeah. She yeah. was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. She was amazing, and she can hit the high notes. She can hit the low notes. She yeah. and she sings the lyrics like like she knows what the words mean, you yeah. know. And she puts her own special movements in into it, and she looked great. It was amazing. And yeah. I am I am a Lady Gaga fan now. And then and, uh, Julie Andrews that, came out, you know, and nobody knew she was uh, coming out. That was just the icing on the cake. It was just look, that I had was tears. Was I'm just perfect. saying, I had tears. I did goosebumps and tears. It was awesome. And, you know, and the whole Oscar night. Yeah. You know, I actually heard somebody on uh, social media say, I saw it, they said this totally makes up for uh, NBC's live. Uh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That was great. Yeah. I agree. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I believe, that, I believe awesome. that that, it really got people back to the real sound of music, I guess. Yeah. So, and the show, the show was entertaining. It was long, but it was entertaining, and Neil Pat- Patrick Harris did did a, a good job. I I thought you the opening number was fabulous. I thought the opening really? number was 
Yeah. You know what? I didn't, me, didn't think me, his prediction little him. gig worked, but. Yeah, for me, yeah. for me, I enjoyed uh, what he was trying to do because I think right. I, I think what the problem was, I think people went in with such overblown expectations of what he was capable of because you know it's Neil Patrick Harris, he could do anything, seemingly anything. Right. That yes. I don't, he, even even he couldn't live up to the hype that people were putting on him because he's always been so great on the Tony. Like, have you ever seen him on? The, he's got four Emmys. I have. For having yep. won, having hosted four Tonys back then. He's won, yep. like, Tonys every year for the last four years, basically. It's crazy. Emmys for, yeah, hosting the Tonys, ironically. <laughs> and then he ended up I winning agree. a Tony. Then he ended up winning a Tony himself this year, you know, to go along with, uh, you know, the, the other stuff that he's got going on. But, um, yeah, I think I think so many people – Including a lot of his, you know, the, like famous friends like you know Kelly Ripper, they put such mm-hmm. they were hyping it up so that you know he couldn't it, it, like disappointment was kind of uh, inevitable. You know, you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't overhype something to the point where you know it just it doesn't quite gel the way it should. Yep. It was him. It was hit and miss. But I have to tell you, I think that if he were to be given another chance, I think he would be, would be able to redeem himself in such a manner that people would be like that. Is what I was yeah. expecting last year. One hundred percent agree. Hopefully, yes. uh, hopefully we'll, he will come we'll back give next him year chance. and knock it out of the park. I yeah. can't believe you're that. so right, Matt. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe You're so right. We're almost out of time, even oh, though we have no, no, to No, we have more stuff to say. I know, so much more. Yeah. <laughs> so much more. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. Okay. I mean, it was just so, so much. Fun uh, talking with you, Mac, and I, I just uh, enjoy. I'm with Nikki, uh, being a big fan. Uh, we really love <laughs> having am. you on the show, and I, I want to give a big shout out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio too for their support. And and Mac, you were just such a terrific guest again today. Thank oh, you so thank much. You. And of course, thank we you. have to thank Catherine, Catherine Houghton, and James Cole Harrison for that. Yeah. A terrific interview that they did previously, and if you want to hear the full interview, just uh, go into the little search bar on Blog Talk Radio and put actress Catherine Houghton, and that's K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. Houghton is capital H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Thanks to Nikki for everything she does for Movie Addict Headquarters and to our chatters today, especially Missy One, who stayed with us during the entire show. Thank you, Missy. I hope everyone enjoyed the show, and I want to encourage listeners to check out some other shows, including Comedy Concepts, hosted by the hilarious Nancy Lombardo right here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday and Friday at 1030 um, a.m. Eastern Time. You also also should go over to Dreamstream Radio and listen to the Mom and Pop Shop Show, hosted by Mr. Showbiz himself, George Bettinger. And it, his show is on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, don't forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Radio Network here on BTR. There's something for everyone in the Wacko wheelhouse. Please come back next time for another spirited discussion about movies. And don't forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. To close the show, here's the very talented A.J. Daniels to take us out with the song, that Nikki and I always like to dedicate to all our Blog Talk Radio listeners. <laughs>